opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The following program contains topics particular to the LGBTQ community. Some discussions may contain mature themes. As such, listener discretion is advised. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International, Tuesday evenings at 10 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media One, and shortly thereafter on all your favorite podcast catchers. And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, they're only illusions. Welcome to the panel, Who Are You? Queer, They, Blind, and Other Identifiers. This morning, we have a a nice selection of panelists. Each one is representing a different identity, and we're going to talk about them, and most importantly, knowing when and how to use them. So we'll get started. We will start by introducing our panelists. We'll start with Anthony, so go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you are identifying. Well, hello and welcome. Thank you. Um, I am Anthony Corona. I am a gay cis man, which means that my orientation is I prefer men. Same-sex orientation, but I identify as a full male. You know, the identification is a spectrum. You know, it is a sliding scale. You can go from one to the other and be anywhere within the middle. I personally know and feel completely male. Although Saturday night's a karaoke, you might think that I identify differently, but I just love singing dramatic songs and most of those are from women. I have pretty much always known that my, you know, my gender identification was male. Um, But early in my exploration of my identity of orientation, I had a brief period where I identified as bisexual. And the term pansexual wasn't really used very widely when I was first coming out. But I, I understood that for me, my attraction comes more from the personality of the person, more from the way that they present and express themselves rather than the physicality of their body. But the personalities that I tend to be attracted to are of a very more traditionally masculine presentation. Though, you know, I used to say gay with a twist because there are some female identifying people along the way that have really turned my head. And, and so that's me for now. Okay. Stacy. Hi, everybody. My name is Stacy. I identify as she, her. I would say I'm bisexual leaning somewhat lesbian or as my label that I made up with my friends, lesbian. So like lesbian, but with a B in front of it. I am a cis woman, she, her, Although I am dating a trans woman and I actually have a friend who's also a trans woman. So I'm kind of uh, really advocating on their behalf. Okay. And next we'll do Tristan. 
Hello, I'm Tristan, and I am cis male, and I identify as both gay and demisexual. And demisexual, for me, means, I want to stress that when we, when we apply extra labels, each of us can only speak to our own experiences, of course. But for me, demisexual means um, that in order to become physically attracted to somebody and, and, and want to have any kind of relationship with somebody, I need to be able to get to know them first. I can't just, I might be attracted initially by a, a voice or, or a presence, but it's not going to do much until I get to know the personality of that person and see if we relate to each other and if we click with each other. And otherwise, I mean, I can't just say, oh, that person's cute and I'll pursue them just because of that. It doesn't work for me. I have to know, I have to know who they are first before I can develop a proper attraction. Okay. And last, but certainly not least, Bryn. Hi, my name is Bryn. I use she, her, and hers pronouns. I am a trans woman. And the difference between cis and trans is simply not trans. That's what cis means. So trans is someone who has gone from one gender presentation to another. And cis is someone who identifies as the gender that they were born with. A lot of trans women say that they knew from a very young age that they were trans. And in, in some ways, I guess I did in that you know, I saw Looney Tunes cartoons where, you know, Bugs Bunny used drag to confuse his foes. And I saw that and went, oh, you people can do that. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that certainly explains some things. <laughs> but I was very much unaware and very much denying both my gender and sexuality at a very mature age. I was like in my mid twenties and I was like totally straight, <laughs> you know, and, and just like not acknowledging the fact that there's more there. And through, you know, some experiences in my life and getting to meet and know people of different walks of life and facing some fears and confronting parents and just soul searching, especially right after quarantine happened. I really came into my own and came to the realization that I was pansexual and transgender. And it's been a long journey and, you know, but I'm here and I'm really happy that I made that journey. My name is Randy Reed. I am the discussion leader today. I am here as an asexual person who is also blind. So asexual is, the short definition is you don't experience sexual attraction to anybody, which is not the same as saying aesthetic. You don't experience aesthetic attraction. So um, things like voices, perfumes, depending on what the situation is, maybe the clothing the person is wearing. If I, you know, happen to uh, become or become privy to that information, that doesn't always happen, that kind of thing. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, that whatever that is um, that other people feel just isn't there for me. And it took me 35 years to get here. So here we are. 
Okay, so Bryn, you, you kind of already started talking about this, but my next question is, when was there a specific defending moment that you knew that the identifiers that you used fit you? And if so, what was it? And we will start with Stacy this time. Well, as I've stated, I'm cis woman, although I have been curious, like I want to role play what it's like to be a guy, but I don't want to become one, if that makes sense. I guess aha moment would be when I was 21 years old and I realized I actually had a dream. I had a dream that I had a girlfriend and we were exploring things and I kind of woke up from that dream going, hmm, you know, am I am I this person? And it's confusing because like sometimes I feel like I'm lesbian. Sometimes I feel like I'm bisexual. So it's like really so kind of confusing because now now I would say I'm more bisexual because I'm polyamorous. I'm dating two girls and two guys. So now it's kind of like, okay, where do I sit? So that's why I, I came up with the I came up with the label Blesbian when I, in 2021, in October 2021, when one of my boyfriends, George, was visiting me. It just kind of clicked in my head. Oh, what about Blesbian? By leaning lesbian, right? And then, of course, somebody that used to be my ex is like, why would you want to use that label? It sounds like you're puking. So I kind of stopped using it for a while, and I just recently remembered it. So I'm like, well, we'll give it a try. Why not? All right. So Tristan, how about you? So my journey is a little longer for, for both of my labels. I grew up, and when I was eight years old, I realized I was attracted to my best friend who was male. And thanks to some Christian conditioning and Everybody who is opposed to the LGBTQ community loves to use the term grooming these days. But frankly, I now realize that I was quite groomed to believe that I was supposed to have a girlfriend. And so, you know, everybody was like, oh, you're so cute. The girls are they'll love you. You have to beat them off with a stick and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. And, and you know, as soon as I elementary school, who's your girlfriend going to be? All that just seated in my mind that I was supposed to have a girlfriend then you get the Christian conditioning and I was literally told in Sunday school Adam and Eve not Adam and Steve and anybody who likes other boys would burn in hell and all the rest of that crap which is nonsense for for people you know and it's damaging to people so there was all that conditioning to overcome as a child even though I was attracted to my best friend and not gonna lie my best friend and I explored we you know, figured things out and, 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 and went on not only with my best friend, but with several other boys as I grew up and I still dated girls because that was expected. And so for a while, especially in my teenage years and and early twenties, I thought I was bi to the point where, and this is where the demisexual kicks in. I became attracted to the personality of a girl that I knew. And, uh, and so we actually ended up getting married. I had three kids. Uh, we are still friends. We are not married anymore, but, but that happened. And after we were married and after it had the three kids, it was actually right after my third kid was on the way, my body decided that it was done playing bisexual. And for whatever reason, 
it switched off any possible attraction to women and made it so that I was more than certain that being attracted to men was was the only road for me. And it took another few years after that for me to understand why only certain men and 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 eventually I figured out what the label was, why why it was that I only really became attracted to those men after getting to know them. And that I learned was demisexual. So that's what I got for you. All right. Thank you very much. We'll do we'll do Bryn next. All right. So I started off identifying as a cis male and dating women. And yes, I certainly had fantasies in my head that I very thoroughly ignored. I had thoughts of, you know, what would it be like to be with another guy? What would it be like to be a girl? And I would just be like, well, that's that's all just fantasy and stuff. But really, I, you know, I like girls and I'm a guy. And that was fear and that was conditioning and that was just willful ignorance to all of the things that were going on in my head when I was behind closed doors, what it all meant. And um, I remember telling people that I was uh, interested in, but I didn't really understand the feelings. Oh, no, I'm not gay. Yeah, No, no, I'm not gay, but like we could totally be friends. And then it was just like, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're definitely clearly not straight. And so for a while there, I was like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm gay. Uh, and then I realized that I, I like all genders. I would say I'm close to demisexual in that it's really about personality. Although I certainly can be and have been attracted to people's physicality and that's it. And wanted to you know spend time with them you know, regardless of whether or not they were a dud or a gem. But but personality is a big deal. And it matters to me more if you're a fascinating person with a funny sense of humor. And, you know, I, I love people who have musical talent. And, you know, just, you know, it's much more about the personality than it is about their gender. So I'm pansexual. And so I would say my aha moments were for my sexuality and realizing that I wasn't straight when I was uh, talking with someone online and saying that I'm straight and then really like kind of catching feelings for him. And then for gender, it was when COVID happened. It was also when I came out as, as not straight. When COVID happened, I was like, I don't know how much longer I have to do what I want with my life. And so I better start making moves to come out. And so I came out first as as pansexual. And then my mother passed away and I was standing beside her deathbed and I I whispered in her ear that I think I was supposed to be her daughter and not her son. And that, you know, I, I was so sorry that I didn't get to tell her when she was awake and that I wish I had more time to to be with her and for her to experience me as her daughter. And I didn't get that opportunity. And when she died, I was like, yeah, uh, I definitely have no idea how much longer I have left on this earth. And I have to, I have to come out as both trans and pan. So those were my aha moments. Okay. Thank you for sharing. And last, but certainly not least, Anthony. So I want to take this in, in three steps. And the first step, I, I want to point out 
you know, listening to Stacy and Bryn, most especially, the myth that you get to a place and you're done is, is just that. It's a myth. Some people, and that's great, get to that place and they're done. And some people need a lot of exploration and some people will explore all their lives. And all of those are very valid modalities. Having said that, I'm going to break mine like Tristan did up into, you know, my gender identification and then my sec- my sexual identification. As far as my gender is concerned, I, I pretty much always knew I was a boy. I started playing baseball when I was four years old. I felt very comfortable in that realm. Um, and in junior high school and, and most especially in high school, I also got involved with the theater crowd and audiovisual production, et cetera. And I was able to tap into my dramatic side, which, you know, anyone who knows me in person knows that it is very, very strong side of me. You know, when I had the opportunity to play with roles and play with even gender presentations, we did in my, in my last year of high school, we did an experimental version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And, you know, I ultimately played Frankenfurter, which is great. But honestly, I was so attracted to the character of Magenta because, you know, it's so understatedly dramatic. And, you know, the, the, the sharpness of it all, I wanted to play Magenta. And, you know, that meant putting on, you know, a complete, you know, not, not quote unquote, pretending to be a crossdresser, but putting on the female, you know, role completely. I auditioned for it. They thought it was great, but there wasn't anyone who could really play Frankenfurter. So I played it. And, you know, I realized, well, A, you know, I'm not really pretty. (laughs) So if I'm ever going to do drag again, I'm going to have to do a lot, a lot of work to make myself pretty. Um, but more importantly, it didn't it didn't fit. It wasn't comfortable. The dramatic side of it and performing was great. But, you know, I was not, you know, I was not near that side of the spectrum. It did not fit. It wasn't comfortable. And so, you know, that solidified inside of me. I am definitely a male. For my sexuality, I came from a very strict Catholic family, big Italian family. and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. When I look back at things, I realize that there were signs that were there that, you know, different space, different time, I might have tapped into earlier. One thing that comes to mind, like Tristan, I had a, a best friend who I I must have fallen in love with. You know, things things happened if he was, you know, ditching me for plans with someone else. It was emotionally stinging, et cetera. But, you know, I'm a guy. So, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling those things. And in high school, transitioning from high school to college, I had been with my girlfriend for about two and a half years. She was my best friend. She was my girlfriend. She was, you know, my extension of life. I had an unhappy home life and her home life was open and fun. And, <laughs> you know, I spent more time at her house than I did at my own. And the relationship, the intimate relationship was really good. And so I got to college and we got engaged and she went to a separate college and something happened. She met someone and she didn't tell me about it. And I went up to surprise her at school and I met him and I could see exactly why she was attracted to him. 
and something happened that weekend and I realized, oh, wow, that's that little thing that's been kind of nagging at me that, you know, I couldn't put my finger on it, feel something. I just don't know what it is. Whoa, this is what it is. And so I spent significant amount of time, a couple of years playing both sides of the fence as they, as they commonly called it at that time or playing for both teams, enjoying all of it, you know, and that's where I started to understand. And, and again, you know, terminology wasn't as available as it is now. So, you know, I'm realizing, you know, somebody can be absolutely gorgeous in, in physical stature, but I have no attraction to them whatsoever because their personality that they have doesn't fit what I, what I need to turn on all the juices, so to speak, kind of like what Justin was saying, but I didn't have a word to put on it. So it was just like, okay, I'm picky. And everybody always, you know, around me was always, you know, well, you're such, you know, you're, you're the B word, (laughs) you know, you think you're all that you only want this or you only want that. And, and and you kind of convince yourself if all your friends think this about you, well, then it kind of must be true. And so along the way, I realized that there's a marked difference between friendship and relationship. And you, when you, for me, when I started to understand what my true attractions were, I realized that although I can appreciate and love the female form and the female, you know, the traditional female personalities, it's not in that romantic way, even when the personalities really, really click with me. And so, you know, I came to the understanding that I'm gay, not really bi, but I still somewhat identify as pan because, you know, there are personalities that come along that, you know, there, I I met someone a few years ago who presents as non-binary, who is non-binary. And I loved being with them just as much when they were presenting more masculine than when they were presenting more feminine. And Stacy, I absolutely recommend role play. I did a lot of role playing in that relationship. And it is a great way to kind of feel your way through fantasies and understanding things about yourself and your, you know, whatever partner you choose to be with at that present moment. And that's, that's pretty much my story as a, that question. Okay. So my, my turn have a few different things going on. So the best way to frame this is that when I was younger, uh, you know, when, when you're young, you get pe- used to people telling you things and telling you what you are. So, you know, when I was, when, <laughs> when I was a little kid, I had a, a mobility teacher one time and she did the same thing that a lot of school teachers do. You know, they assume that you're going to have a, a specific life track. And she, she, I don't remember what we were talking about. She was like, well, what are you going to do when you, you know, when you get married, you know, and you have to, you have to think of her too. And I responded back, I don't like people, so I'm never getting married. And I was, I was five. And so, you know, limited words, and it came out probably sharper than, than was warranted. Uh, but I knew on an instinctual level that, that that wasn't what I, you know, that wasn't what I wanted. But what happened, you know, people kept telling me, you know, you're going to have this lifestyle. And uh, when I got into junior high, you know, they were, they were like, you have to, you know, get out there and date a little bit because it's socially normal. You know, so I did that for a while and, and had some experiences. 
but what I mostly remember is the other thing is like with, with toys, I would always, I always wanted the toys that made cool noises and they always seemed to be, if they weren't the sci-fi toys, they were like the Barbie toys. So you had like the McDonald's restaurant and the Barbie telephone and those things. And I always wanted to play with them. And people were like, no, you can't play with those. You're, you know, you're a boy, boys don't play with those. So I just remember being like, well, that's stupid, you know, just because I have just because I'm, you know, I'm this way, I can't play with that toy for a while. Like I never, I never understood why. I still don't, honestly. But I found out about asexual in my early twenties, and you know, once I once I found it, I knew it fit, whether or not I wanted it to. That com- that complete story is actually an episode of Pride Connection from way back when, during the pandemic. I don't even, I don't know. It's in, it's in. I think it's in July of twenty twenty. If you want to go find that, it was an hour of me talking about that. But, you know, one of, one of my other big aha moments and why I call myself a person, I was on, I was on a social network one time um, and I was not using my picture as a profile picture. And I had been in contact with this person and they DM'd me one day and they were like, I dreamed about you last night. And I said, well, how can you dream about me when you don't know, you know, what I look or sound like or anything like that? And they were just like, no, you were just like this person and you were there and we were hanging out. And I was like, I really like that perception of just a person because you don't have none of the labels. You can play with all the toys in the store, you know, all that stuff. So that was and even though I don't necessarily have like haven't settled on words for it, yet, um, that's where I'm at. Sometimes they call it gender apathy or gender detachment. So if you if you run across those terms, I'm a poster child, I guess, in, in a lot of ways. So that that's me. Uh, next question. So if you are blind or visually impaired, which one do you use? And how does it play into the identity that you are that you are representing today? And we are going to start this time with Tristan. So I'm totally blind. So I just go with blind. Um, I've been blind since birth. <laughs> Weirdly, get this. There was question. Just like people question their their sexuality and their identity. There was actually question about my blindness and whether I was totally blind or had light perception. And this is the weirdest thing. And And just to show that it can translate into other stuff. So I had one eye in in my face the other i was born without the other eye and the doctor would shine a flashlight at me and i would blink and so he thought that i had light perception and so occasionally you know my parents or grandparents or whatever they would shine a flashlight at me and and i would blink and so i thought as they thought that i had the ability to see light but in my when I was a teenager, I found out that the eye that that was in my socket was not going to grow with me as I as I finished growing up. It was just going to atrophy and die. And so I said to the I said to the surgeons, I said, take it out. I don't want it in there. If it's going to become painful and awful, just take it out. And so they did. So I now have no eyes. And. 
what was interesting about that was afterward, just to see what it was like to try to get a feeling of comparison, I took a flashlight and shined it at my eye that used to have the eye in it. And I still was able to detect the light. And what it was, what I realized was that it wasn't the light that I ever detected. I never detected the light. It was the heat from the incandescent bulb in the light, in the torch, in the flashlight that caught my attention. It, when it was the sunlight outside, it was the heat from the sun that caught my attention. When it hit my, my eyelid, it caused me to blink. So there was literally no difference in my brain between having an eye and not having an eye. So I had been totally blind the entire time. So I had to sort of kind of readjust my disability identity, which was interesting. And I think maybe that actually opened up the ability for me to question, start to question my sexual identity. Well, if that was wrong, well, then what about this? I think as far as, 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 it re- as being blind relates to my orientation identity, I, I, I've just, I've always preferred the male form. I, I, I came to that conclusion a long while ago. Um, always I've preferred the male form and, and have been interested, more interested in the male form. The demisexual side of it, I do wonder sometimes if since I can't see a person's image, did my brain just default to you've got this other option? You can you can start to really uh, get to know somebody's personality and then decide whether or not you're attracted to them. Yeah, I think I think it may have informed it to some degree. I you know there's no way to know for sure, but but I would I would buy that. <laughs> All right, let's do Bryn next. I do use both blind and visually impaired although i i prefer to use the term blind um i did spend some time with the other organization and one of the things that they believe is that we're all blind you know we should all use canes we should all have uh, a, a minimum of training as blind people and regardless of whether or not you're a a high partial or a low partial or totally blind or have light perception or low, no light perception or whatever, like we should all have canes and use the word blind. And, and I don't agree with most of what that other organization preaches, but I do believe that I just identify as blind and that's a core part of my personality and who I am. Okay. Let's check on Anthony next. So I have thought a lot about this topic recently. And, you know, first and foremost, I don't want to disregard the other organization. It's good for the people that, you know, really identify and feel that. But I think that that does a disservice. You know, um, it's no secret. I was cited until I was 40 years old, which is, you know, the bulk of my life up to this point. And at large, the, for lack of a better way, I hate the sighted world or the sighted people. I, I hate saying it, but there's really not a good term for it. But for lack of a, you know, a better way of saying it, most of the sighted world really does not have much or any education on blind or low vision. 
So, you know, whatever they have experienced is basically what they think, you know, blind low vision is. They may have seen someone, they may have watched a show or a movie. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've been asked questions about uh, Daredevil, you know, and it's it's like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not like that. Yes, we can echolocate to a certain extent, but, you know, we're not dolphins. We're not getting the same information that dolphins are getting. But I'm digressing. But I, I, I'm digressing to a point. I identify as blind because I don't have anything. Uh, I, I have bare light perception in one eye. There is no usable vision whatsoever. So in my world, that means I'm blind. As someone who was quite popular in the LGBTQ plus worlds, and there are many of them, uh, or you know, many overlapping circles within the world, I experienced a high level of interaction, participation, attraction, you know, which often led to, you know, intimacy. And when I was, I often say that I had to come out of the, out of the closet twice because I came out once, you know, in my sexual orientation life. And as, you know, blindness was put upon me, I retreated from the world completely almost completely, you know, my mom and my sister and, and one very trusted friend I kept around, so to speak, but I, I basically pushed everybody else away and then had to reemerge. It was another coming out. But the thing was, it was a whole different ball game. I still had a pretty great body. I'm still pretty good looking. I still have this amazing personality, but in the LGBTQ plus circles, I was basically invisible. And I don't think that that's an overstatement, you know, having lived in the community now for uh, about six years, I, I understand very well that in general, we're invisible to a large portion of the population because they're afraid of blindness and, the, and themselves. They're afraid to age into blindness or to have the accident or a disease. And so it's more comfortable for them to pretend like we're not there than to actually have to face the fact that, you know, here's a guy who was blind, uh, completely sighted and had an amazing life and story and career, et cetera, and then became blind. And it kind of freaks them out that I didn't shrivel up and die. And so, you know, through personal experience, it does matter a lot. Okay, thank you. Um, Stacy. you are next. All right. So when I was a little girl, so I am in my left eye, I'm total for some, for some context here in my left eye, I'm totally blind. Um, in my right eye, I have a tiny bit of vision in the periphery. So when I was a little girl and people would refer to me as blind, I hated it because I had a little bit of vision. I'm like, no, I'm not blind. I'm visually impaired when I was a little girl. And because I didn't want to be blind, I thought blind meant you couldn't see at all. I didn't want to be given that label back then when I was a kid. But as I've gotten older and now I'm an adult, I feel the term visually impaired, in my personal opinion, is too overrated and politically correct. So I identify as blind. And if people ask, you know, oh, do you have any vision? I say, oh, I have a little bit in my right eye, but. I identify as blind. I've come to terms with it. I didn't want to be blind when I was little, but as I've gotten older, I've just accepted it. I'm blind and that's the way it is. And that's the way it's going to be. 
And my blindness does not have a cure yet. And I don't know when it's going to. And even if it doesn't, I'm, I'm happy with who I am and where I stand in the world. So yeah, now I use the term blind and I hate when people call me visually impaired. So it's completely reversed. It's like, no, dude, I'm blind. Just say it the way it is. You don't need to be politically correct around me. I don't like political correctness. But yeah, and as far as how it relates to me being bisexual, leaning lesbian or lesbian, I think bisexual is a good label too, but I think, and it's, it's very sad to say this, but there's a lot of sighted people in this world who are very shallow and very narrow-minded as it were and I think me being blind has given me the chance to actually explore and get to know people and get to know their personality get to know who they are which is why primarily I prefer to play for the women's team although I do play for both teams I do play for the women team I prefer the women team because women I just get along better with Although, and I, I'm in my personal experience dating, I've dated a bunch of jerks that were guys. And I just, you know, I've tried, you know, maybe I should just be lesbian and forget all guys. But now I have two men in my life who care about me and treat me the way I deserve to be treated. And I have two women as well. So it's actually fun because I get to explore. And going back to something that Anthony said, I think for the rest of my life, I want to explore. I don't think I want to be done. I think I want to just always explore and have that freedom. And being blind helps me to obtain that freedom. And that's your born God-given right. Yep. Excellent. Okay, my turn. Um, so going back to uh, being told your truth and being told what you are, when people you know, ask me how I do things and, and why I can do what I do, because I primarily work with a population that, you know, is just uh, experiencing vision loss and they're adjusting to it. Um, and I tell them the secret is I never really knew I was blind until somebody went through the trouble of explaining it. And so what I mean is, you know, when I'm, when I'm allowed to live in my, in my perfect universe, my perfect pocket universe, such as it were, you know, I'm not like everything is, everything is what it needs to be. And, you know, it'll all work out and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, when I interact with the world outside of my little packet universe, you know, that, that's when I'm blind. That's, that's when problems pop up. So somebody explained it to me a long time ago. Um, and, the, you know, the rest of the world just kind of points it out to me, at least on a daily basis. But what I will tell you is I have got, had many arguments with people who would like me to refer to myself as visually impaired, which I refuse to do because I'm totally blind. I respect somebody's right to identify as visually impaired if, if that's what they want. But I identify as blind. I also identify as disabled. And uh, one of my more memorable arguments, I had a professor in college that always wanted me to call myself differently abled which was a term I hated as soon as I heard it. And by hate it, I mean, if somebody else wants to use it or refer to themselves, fine. But it's like trying to put a square, a uh, round peg in your square hole. You just know it doesn't fit, right? So we would go along and I'd be talking about something. I'd be like, I'm disabled. And they would be like, no, you're differently. 
And finally, one day I just said, you know, I've lived with it for 24 years. And when you live with it for 24 years, then you can tell me what to call it. And that was it. But, you know, it's, it's the, you know, it's the little things like asserting, you know, this, this is my experience. This is what I call it. This is how I call it. It's, it's those little moments. And what I'm, you know, what I really am hoping people get out, out of this is that the more conversation we have about the different identifiers um, under the GLBTQIA plus umbrella, you know, the more acceptable it will be to call yourself, hey, you know, I'm disabled. I'm having a problem here. I'm disabled in this situation. I'm blind. So we're really, really just trying to bridge that gap, but not by preaching because that, that's just long and boring. So what I'd like to do is I would like to open it up to questions from the audience. So if you please would raise your hand, our host will call on you. Um, and as long as you're being respectful, you should be fine. Randy, before we take questions, can I throw one back at you? Yes, sir. We, we all answered the blind, low vision and, and somewhat how our orientation. I'm wondering, do you find when you identify as ACE, sort of, you know, sort of the same question we were just answering from the mm -hmm. ACE scale? Uh, you, you know what? I completely skipped over it. So actually, um, there is in, in the asexual community, um, you kind of have to be involved to see it. But there is a belief system. Not everybody shares it. Um, that if you are disabled in any way, you can't be asexual because disabled people are automatically sexually undesirable. And I realize that might be triggering, but also this is what I deal with. So, so I need to let you know. And what, what that means, you know, so they have what they call the gold star ace and it's somebody, you know, that is very attractive and uh, not at least not visibly disabled. Um, because you have visible and invisible disabilities, you know, and they, and they don't want sex. And uh, obviously, you know, they have all the things that make them sexually desirable. And so they then uh, get to make that choice. So in, uh, in the uh, ACE community, you know, we're always saying, hey, you can be disabled and you can be ACE because one is a physical condition and the other is a feeling, the other is an experience. And uh, both both are valid. But on my personal, you know, on my personal front, we'll describe myself as a recovering introvert. And basically <laughs> what that means, <laughs> I think I think you might know because you're giggling. But uh, what it means when we when we were in college, when we first started college, they had us all take the uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator. And when I answered the questions, I didn't I answered them practically. Um, and what I, one of the ones that stands out is, uh, you know, do you prefer a boss that, you know, has kind of a sharper tongue and tells you all the things that are wrong? Or do you, uh, do you like one that just sort of dances around it and kind of leads you to it? And I answered, you know, I want it more direct. Why? Because, you know, I'm blind. And if, uh, if you're saying nice things and your face is mean, you know, I'm not, <laughs> not going to pick up on it. And so what happened was because I answered them in a way that I needed to do that to function, my test results came back and it labeled me um, as an ENFP, which is extroverted, intuitive, feeling and perceiving. 
um, and I ran with it because they're like, oh, you're extroverted. That's so great. You'll have all these career opportunities and your future is ahead of you. And it's so awesome to be an extrovert. Right. Um, and meanwhile, so and I, I was I was 18 and I I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I bought into it. And, you know, if I and if it got to the point, you know, if I wasn't hanging out with someone or going somewhere or doing something, I felt like I was, you know, kind of doing something wrong. And I and it played in because I was like, well, am I really ace or am I really just not trying, you know, because I'm blind and dating when you're blind is, is a whole other complicated thing. So I did have to go through that. Uh, and somewhere along the way. There's no specific aha moment, but I realized I'm actually incredibly, like not shy introverted, but I definitely need my alone time after a long social thing or after a few days, you know, staying at somebody's house, that, that kind of thing. And so, you know, my 20s were spent faking being an extrovert. My 30s are being spent uh, learning how to be an authentic introvert but not the kind that is perceived as cold or unfeeling to people because it just, that isn't me anyway, but that's where I am with that. Thank you. Okay. Do we have any raised hands? I've just allowed Deanna to uh, unmute. Okay. I think <laughs> I'm unmuted. I am Native American. So we have a different perspective. Mm -hmm. We call people that are different from their born into gender to spirit people. And we value yeah. them because of their perspective that isn't dominated by male, female <laughs> complications or roles or whatever. They are yes. granted great respect and considered to be part of society that's absolutely necessary. We call them the, the third leg of the stool. <laughs> yeah. that holds the, holds the community up. So I've never felt any concern about people's gender identity. And I've always tried to know who the person was, because that's the most important part to us. Who are you really behind your mask, behind your exterior? Who is your spirit? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you humorous? Are you a caring person? And so the people I'm attracted to are people that, as a, as a somewhat introverted person, that are open and available in their, in their spirit. I can fake it and get through because I've been always been goal oriented and driven to achieve. And when I find myself being afraid of anything, I force myself to face it and deal. So um, it's not something that really bothers me either way. I have a relative that I loved very much who's now gone. And I never did ask him what his orientation was. He was raised by women, so he knew how to cook and sew and clean and, you know, all of those things. And so he got denied graduate school because his MMPI score said that he was feminine. But as far as I know, he always lived as a male person, but I never asked him because 
I figured if it was anything he thought I needed to know, he would have told me because we had such good trust between us that we used to stay up late into the night talking about everything in the world from from childhood. He was five years older than I was. So he was the closest thing I had to a big brother being the firstborn of my mother's five children. And he lived with us very often just because of the, the fluidity of Native American families. Um, when his own family could not provide for him, he came to live with us for a while. And that was off and on from the time he was five and I was a baby. So, you know, to me, I am grateful that you are all brave enough to tell us who you are and trust that we will respect that and not do you harm or attack you for it because it's not easy. It's a it's a tough world out there. And um, as a Native child, I'm a survivor. And you have to be a survivor when society does not understand you. And they don't understand blindness. And they don't understand a lot of stuff. They certainly don't understand what it is to be a Native American person and child. So... Thank you for sharing your stories, and um, I wish you- Deanna, before you go- Yes. There's, um, I was exposed to a Native American story a long time ago that speaks to what you're saying, and it was told that the creators created beings that were a mix of both to be the balance of the world, because if there was too much of one or the other energy, then the whole world couldn't be in balance. Are you familiar with that story? Yes, and it is true that it's one of the reasons I think more women need to get into politics <laughs> and more people that are, are non-binary uh, because we need the balance. We need the gentleness that is part of being feminine, but we also need intellect. We need the courage to stand your ground and fight for what you believe is right. But we don't need a lot of testosterone or hysteria. And those are the two things that people identify as either male or female. I don't think it's hysteria. I think it's passion. But because when we are passionate about things, women tend to be dramatic. (laughs) And we cannot often keep our cool when we feel that there's injustice or that we're not being heard. Yeah. Well, thank you say, so much. Yes, thank you. Um, and I'll just play off it for a minute, but we do have some other hands. I, I will say that growing up as, as a blind child, a lot of my friends throughout school were either either boys or men, you know, depending on what phase of school you're talking about. The school is a long time, especially if you're the kind of person that's always exploring. But, uh, you know, a lot of my, a lot of the time, a lot of my friends were, uh, women and a lot of the people that like made me go like am I so I always said you know I don't get crushes on people but I get fascinated by them and so you know a lot of times when I would end up in the situation of do you know is this a crush am I just fascinated by this person because they're unique uh, when everybody else kind of looks the same but you know a lot of times when that happens it's someone that for some reason or another that I perceive 
as being, you know, somewhere on that spectrum of uh, non-binary, uh, but not necessarily one or the other. And I think it's just because I, I really like like ideas and like personality, like I like personality dynamics, which isn't necessarily the same as interpersonal conflict, although it, it can lead to that. And because of that, it's just who I gravitate to. All right, I'm going to shut up now because it's not all about me. Um, <laughs> and we have other hands. Uh, we have Lynn Corell up next. Hello, everybody. Hi, Randy. Hi, Anthony, everybody. Well, you know, I have always been open-minded. And even though I was married for 23 years, and I have a son. I was in a, a relationship with a woman when I was in my 30s. I think that right now I'm not with anybody and I haven't been for seven years. And so, but I still have attractions. And I think more it's attractions to men these days. But ever since I was a child, I had attraction to both men and women. And I don't know, you know, I'm an extroverted Jewish codependent kind of person. So, you know, I really care about people a lot and I care about everybody. And I've always had men friends. I've always had women friends and I still do. And I don't know uh, if I'll have, have a relationship again. I think I'm, uh, I think I'm too weird to have a relationship actually, <laughs> but um, again, but, you know, I, I, I think that I've had some, some good relationships and, and uh, dynamics. And actually, it wasn't that I was attracted to a lot of people, but if they were attracted to me, I think that I kind of went along with people who were attracted to me, which is kind of odd. So I think it's, I think it's a complicated thing. I see that people like my dad, who's 97 and a half, doesn't really understand trans or um, non-binary because my uh, first cousin's uh, child was, was was trans. So, and I knew somebody else was, who was trans and we had a gay uh, person in my family. And I think my parents were always kind of uncomfortable with all that. But, you know, I, I've kind of made my own path in life and now I'm 71. So I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm still active in a lot of things. So we'll see. And I'm just about finished with my dissertation. So I'm just, um, I'm just, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. You know, it's just, I think that the whole discussion about labels, I don't really like labels. So I just like to call myself open-minded <laughs> and exploring. So that's kind of the way I feel about it. Does that make sense to everybody? It does. Yeah. And if I could just jump in real fast, uh, there, there's something maybe that you didn't know, but there is a, there is a subclassification yeah. um, of <laughs> people who who are uh, who become attracted to others when they realize that those others are attracted to them and that's called reciprocal yeah. oh my god <laughs> yep. it's a thing it's a thing you can lose a lot of time on the internet learning these things yeah I'm sure. and, and one it. other thing that i would just mention uh is is that trust me coming from a very 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 weird person um you're never too weird to to find someone who's just as weird as you Thanks. Amen. I, that. Okay. I think we. I think weird people are hot. <laughs> Amen. I'm definitely weird. <laughs> okay, I'll I think take we that. can all qualify ourselves yeah. as weird. Yeah, I was gonna say we're, we're all we're all weird. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody. We'll catch you later. Okay. Um, next up, we have Vita. Hello, everyone. I've learned some new words today, which is which is great. And I wanted to know, where can people go? What is a trusted website that people can go to to learn? 
and to understand better what each of these terminologies mean. There's a human rights campaign, hrc.org, um, has a glossary of terms and explanations. HR- hrc.org? Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And we actually did a pride connection with the glossary of terms, several of them anyway, And Dr. David Rosen is joining us for a program called Aging Over the Rainbow, but it's really a a bi-structured program because the first half of it is all about, think of gender expression, gender identity as an abacus, and all of the terminology is covered, and there's a lot of resources, and it'll be podcasted. Uh, Because I think that sometimes the reason people don't participate in these types of conversations is because they're afraid to say the wrong thing or or they're afraid to let's um, tackle that right right now yeah participate in the conversations and make the mistakes in conversations like this because how are you going to learn in conversations like this we're forgiving because we understand that you're coming here to understand so please come and participate in these conversations thank you so I do want to take a minute to thank everybody that showed up for uh, thank you to all the panelists who were willing to share. And thank you for all of the audience members who, you know, were willing to ask questions and learn. That's, that's why we did this. I think this went well. So we might, I don't know, we might do a part two at some point. But anyway, thank you everybody for coming. I've heard it too many times to ignore it. You've been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, please visit our brand new website, bpi.gay. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.